Welcome to the Potter's House Community Church's podcast. Join us weekly as we feature our Sunday sermons. The Potter's House Community Church exists to help people be shaped by God to be followers of Jesus Christ. We hope today's message encourages you as we dive into God's Word. So grab your favorite drink and let's listen to today's sermon. So show me your mysteries, my God. Let's just be honest, this is a weird passage of Scripture, okay? Um, like, Like if Jerry Springer was a TV show back in Genesis time, this would be on the show, okay? So like, like that, there's no doubt. Like it is just one of those really messed up family situations kind of thing. And uh, uh, Mo, when she was leaving last week, she said, good luck with next week's passage. Um, because cause it is, it's a doozy. Um, and parents... There's some things in here you might have some explaining to do when you get home uh, with your kids. So, uh, but let's, let's jump in to Genesis 38, and then I want us to go back and pull a few things out and really dig in and unpack them, because I think in that we'll see maybe what God is speaking to us in this time, in this situation, okay? So Genesis 38. It happened at that time that Judah went down from his brothers and turned aside to a certain Alamite, whose name was Hira. There Judah saw the daughter of a certain Canaanite, whose name was Shua. He took her and went into her, and she conceived and bore a son. And he called his name Ur, and she conceived again and bore a son, and she called his name Onan. Yet again she bore a son, and she called his name Shelah. Judah was in Chezeb when she bore him. And Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord put him to death. Then Judah said to Onan, go into your brother's wife and perform the duty of a brother-in-law to her and raise up offspring for your brother. But Onan knew that the offspring would not be his, so whenever he went into his brother's wife, he would waste the semen on the ground so as to not give offspring to his brother. And what he did was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and he put him to death also. And so then Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, remain a widow in your father's house till Shelah, my son, grows up, for he feared that he would die like his brothers. So Tamar went and remained in her father's house. And in the course of time, the wife of Judah, Shua's daughter, died. And when Judah was comforted, he went up to, t- to Timnah in his sheep shearers, he and his friend Hira, the Adalamite. And when Tamar was told, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear his sheep, she took off her widow garments and covered herself with a veil, wrapping herself up and sat in the entrance to Enam, which is on the road to Timnah. For she saw that Shelah was grown up and she had not been given to him in marriage. And when Judah saw her, he he thought she was a prostitute for she had covered her face. He turned to her at the roadside and said, come, let me come into you. For he did not know that she was a daughter-in-law. She said, what will you give me that you may come into me? And he answered, I will send you a young goat from the flock. And she said, if you give me a pledge until you send it, And he said, what pledge shall I give you? And she replied, your signet and your cord and your staff that is in your hand. So he gave them to her and went into her and she conceived by him. Then she arose and went away and taking off her veil, she put on the garments of her widowhood. 
When Judas sent the young goat by his friend the Adamite uh, to take back the pledge from the woman's hand, he did not find her. And he asked the men of the place, where is the cult prostitute who was in Enum at the roadside? And they said, no cult prostitute has been here. So he returned to Judah and said, I have not found her. And also the men of the place said, no cult prostitute has been here. And Judah replied, let her keep the things as her own or we shall be laughed at. You see, I sent this young goat and you did not find her. About three months later, Judah was told, Tamar, your daughter-in-law has been immoral. Moreover, she is pregnant by immorality. And Judah said, bring her out and let her be burned. As she was being brought out, she sent word to her father-in-law, by the man to whom these belong, I am pregnant. And she said, please identify whose these are, the signet and the cord and the staff. Then Judah identified them and said, she is more righteous than I, since I did not give her to my son Shelah, and he did not know her again. When the time of her labor came, there were twins in her womb. And when she was in labor, one put out a hand and the midwife took it and tied a scarlet thread on his hand saying, this one came out first. But as he drew back his hand, behold, his brother came out and she said, what a breach you have made for yourself. Therefore, his name was called Perez. And afterward, his brother came out with the scarlet thread on his hand and his name was called Zara. See, Jerry Springer, am I right? Like... You are the father, right? Like, um, yeah, the whole, the whole messed up situation is in there. But there's also some very, very good biblical truth in here that we need to unpack as well. And I think it directly applies to where we are today. Did you guys catch why Judah's first two sons died? Did you guys catch that? Verse 7. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord put him to death. Verse 10. And what he did was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and he put him to death also. This is a major theme. Wickedness is punished by God. One of the methods that God uses for punishment is death. And so we see here that God punishes wickedness with death and other bad things. And so as we look at these bad things in our world and we look at things like fires burning all around us, and we might want to say, well, God, why? God, why, why is this happening? God, why, are, why, why does this even exist? Some people will want to look at God and say, God, why did you make a world in which it's this messed up? And to that, we want to be clear that sometimes, sometimes in those situations, what God is doing is punishing wickedness. Sometimes. I'm not, some, sometimes also as Christians, when these kind of natural disaster kind of things happen, we're too quick to say, this is God judging this sin or God judging these people or God judging this, that, or the other. And so let's, let's be hesitant to jump to those conclusions too quickly, but it is, it has to be said as true from scripture that an aspect of what God does and what his reasons are is because of our wickedness, because of our sin, these things happen. 
Another thing, um, well, I've heard this analogy. Let's, let's do this. So let's imagine you have an architect that designs an amazing house. And then you have a builder that comes and builds that amazing house and builds it perfectly. But then you have tenants who come and live in the house who do not take care of it. In fact, they go around knocking holes in the wall and they drive their vehicle into the the house and they do everything they can and then ultimately the house falls apart. When we see that house fall apart, do we then go and say, well, that architect obviously did not know what he was doing. Do we say, oh, well, that builder obviously did not do a good job building that house. Well, no. No. It was the people living in the house that destroyed the house that is their fault. And so when we look at God's world, when we look at his design, we don't need to look at it and say, God, why did, you didn't do a very good job of designing this thing. Because the problems with this world come from the fact that mankind brought sin into this world that has corrupted it and has messed it up. God made a world in which it was good. And then we have taken it and corrupted it and destroyed it in many ways. The Apostle Paul picks up this theme in Romans 8. And in Romans 8, it, it, uh, it says this. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. So what is Paul saying? He's saying, hey, all of creation, when man brought sin into the world, all of creation was affected. It's been groaning. It's been uh, having these things like fires, hurricanes, storms, all these kind of things are affecting the creation because of what man brought into the world. But yet that is going to actually ultimately work out in the end when Jesus comes back, when our hope is actualized in the new heavens, the new earth. What is to come, we no longer have to worry about these things. Because these things will be dealt with because sin will be ultimately dealt with. But what we do see is the fact that creation is under the effects of sin, which mankind subjected it to. It's because we brought sin into the world that these things happen. So while we're hesitant to say, hey, the fires around us are because of X sin or whatever, we can say with certainty, if there was not sin in the world, we would not be dealing with fires around us. And so we we can know this to be true from scripture. And so for anybody who's wrestling with how could a good and loving God let this happen, that's why. It's because we've messed up what he good and lovingly made. And so, Jesus also 
uh, deals with this topic. He deals with the topic of, of pain and suffering in, uh, in Luke 13. It has an account where Jesus is teaching. And apparently in that, there, that place, there was a tower that fell on some people. Um, and I think 18 people died. And because of this, people were like, oh, well, they were obviously very sinful. And Jesus said, they weren't any worse than the rest of you guys. Right? And so Jesus sets the example for us that, that just because someone suffers, just because something bad happens, doesn't necessarily mean that we need to say, oh, well, that person was obviously a very bad sinner. Right? Or that person was less holy than another. There's also the account in John 9 where, uh, where it says this. It says, as he passed by, that's Jesus, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind, right? Connection, sin, bad thing. So they're like, hey, who's, whose bad thing was it that, that caused this man to be born blind? And Jesus answered, it is not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. And Jesus goes on to heal that man and restore that man. And it becomes a whole thing because of the Sabbath and all this kind of stuff. And people get all wacky, whatever. But anyway, what we see Jesus teaching in this is, is another aspect of when we ask, hey, God, why? This might be why. That the works of God might be displayed. Already I'm, I'm getting reports from some of our people praising the Lord as very sadly their neighbor's house is gone. Their other neighbor's house is gone. But for some reason, by God's grace and mercy, their house still stands. To God be the glory. But equally, we mourn with those who their house is gone. We weep with those who don't have a home to go back to. And what we see over and over again in scripture, but also just in life, is the fact that God uses the bad things of this world to bring people and glory to himself. So many of us, I want to ask you, how many of you have prayed more this week than you normally do? Let's be honest. Yeah. Because we, we see these situations and we say, this is completely out of my control. I want to go to the one who, who has control, the one who can't handle this. And we go before him in prayer. But God uses these things to get our attention. And he does that for those of us who are Christians, but he also does that for those who, who do not yet have hope in Christ. And I want to propose to you that right now we sit in a special time and a special moment where we can be representatives for Christ in our community in a unique way. In a time where so many are asking questions, so many are looking for hope, so many are displaced and trying to figure out what, which way is up, I want to encourage you that maybe this is exactly what God is doing to get their attention. And if that is the case, I want to ask you this question. As God's people, as children who, of, of God who are following Jesus Christ, how does he want us to shine for him in our community? 
What does, what does God want his church to do and say if he is, in fact, trying to get the, ten, the attention of people in our community? What does God want us to do to help people? If Jesus were here in his physical body right now, just as he healed that man who was born blind, how would Jesus help meet needs of people in our community right now? And then take that a step further, we are his physical body. The church is the body of Christ that is present here and now to do his will and do his work. So what is it that he wants us to do? What is it that he wants of us in order to help others and to point people to him? And I'll be honest, I don't fully know the answer to that question. I have ideas, I have thoughts. I'm like, man, what if we did this? What if we did that? But I want to hear from you. I want to hear from you. Talk to me this week and say, hey, what if we did this? Or God's laying on my heart to be a part of doing this. I'm just imagining like with basically half of our community displaced in some way are hosting people who have been displaced. There's a lot of needs. How can we be a solution? How can we be a light? How can we be a hope in this time? I've heard from, a, I've talked with many of you this week and heard from many of you and um, I'm so thankful for how you guys are, are dealing with this and handling this situation. But also I hear a lot of um, just anxiety, which is to be expected. This is normal. We're humans. Our world's got flipped upside down. It's a, a reason that we, we worry about things, the reason we get anxious. And so not to, to discredit that or to throw it in your face, but I feel like I should share some of Jesus' words speaking to that. Matthew 6, starting in verse 25, Jesus says this. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Might we add, are where you will live? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet their heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles sink after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let's go back up one verse. 
but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So I want to ask you right in the middle of what we're going through as a community, as, as, as society here, what does it look like for us in this moment to seek first the kingdom of God? And so if you're, if you're dealing with that anxiety, if you're dealing with that stress of what's going on, I'm going to give you a couple practical pieces of advice. One, stop updating the website every 30 seconds. <laughs> Two, take a castanet break. Three, Seek the Lord. Let's seek the Lord and seek his kingdom and say, what can we do to help God? Because I want to tell you this, for me, it's a lot harder for me to be worried and anxious about my life and my situation if I'm serving somebody else. If I'm helping somebody else and helping them through what's going on with them, then it's a lot harder for me to sit here and just get all all worried, oh, is is an ember going to fall on my roof, right? And I'll be honest, I was one of the ones up there with a water hose spraying it down the other night. But we have a lot less time and energy to waste worrying when we're serving others and advancing God's kingdom. And so I want to ask you, what is it that God would have us to do in this time And in this place, if we seek first his kingdom, what does that look like here and now? Now, that was a a long road we went down relating to God took the lives of Judah's two sons. That's where we started. Um, So let's let's circle back to Genesis 38 because there's a couple more truths I I want us to see in this passage Um, that also relate to us here and now. Um, And so we've kind of hashed out this theme of of God dealing with wickedness and God punishing wickedness and how that relates to what we see in our world and how we deal with these things that we're up against. But then there's this whole rest of this story, right? The whole rest of the story here of like, this whole situation with Tamar and Judah and, and what, what all goes on with that. And when you first read this, you're just like, well, why is this even here? Like, one, why did it happen? But two, why did, why did it make the Bible, right? Like, why, why, why did this make the cut of what they included, right? Like, I'm sure there's plenty of other stories from, uh, from uh, Israel's 12 sons that could have been included. In fact, it seems kind of misplaced here in Scripture as that we just had started the story of Joseph being sold into slavery, and then all of a sudden we take a break to talk about Judah and Tamar before we go back to Joseph, and it seems kind of strange in that way. But I want to tell you, if, if this story were not here and we did not know this story, then it wouldn't make any sense to us when we come to Matthew chapter 1. And in Matthew chapter 1, as the New Testament begins with Matthew giving the lineage of Jesus Christ, 
He's saying this is the family tree of Jesus, that Jesus came into the world, into this family. Who do we see? We see in Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. And Perez, the father of Hezron, and so on and so on and so on. And we would not know if we did not have Genesis 38, the incredible amount of information that is packed into that little verse right there. Because what this tells us is that Jesus Christ came into the world in the family tree that includes this messed up Jerry Springer moment. And a lot is made over all of this, but, but if we can just take that truth and understand it, it has great implications for us. Because while we look at sin and wickedness in the world around us and we look at sin and wickedness in our own lives and we see these things and we're like, oh man, yes, God should punish this. We also are confronted with the truth that he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, into a family tree that included just that much wickedness. He came into the world. Jesus came into a family of sinners to save us from sin. And in that we can have hope. Because yes, he ultimately died. He died on a cross. But he rose again three days later to proving that he defeated sin and death. And in that he offers that to us that, hey, you can have hope. And I want to encourage you, if you have that hope in Jesus, then what's the worst that this world can throw at you? Death? What do you get then? Jesus? Fire consumes it all. What are you left with? Hope? Jesus? Eternity? With him? New heaven, new earth, none of this happens anymore. Don't have to deal with fires. Don't have to deal with any of that anymore. That's all gone. That's all washed away. That's all taken care of, all because of Jesus. And so Genesis 38 tells us more about Jesus. It tells us about the fact that he, he didn't, God didn't just choose, like if you read about the stories relating to, to Jacob's sons, like which one would you think would be the one that, yeah, his line would be the one that would be blessed with the savior of the world coming into it. Be Joseph, right? I mean, the dude like hardly has a spot on him. Like he's almost perfect through the whole thing. Then you got Judah over here. He's the one saying, hey, yeah, let's sell Joseph. And then running off and shacking up with all these ladies, getting people pregnant all over the place. And like, yeah, just a messed up situation. And yet God says, hey, through Judah, I'm going to send my son. He's going to be the lion of the tribe of Judah. Also through, through Judah, what goes with that is also the kingly line throughout all of Israel. King David was of the tribe of Judah. All of his descendants after him were the tribe of Judah. Has promised that, hey, one from this tribe will sit on the throne forever. That one is none other than Jesus Christ. So God chooses to bless a messed up family. And that should give us all hope. Because I don't know about you, but I think most of us come from pretty messed up families. And so in that, we can have hope. In that, we can have peace. In that, 
there is so much offered to us. One more point I want to bring out of Genesis 38 is this. How many sons did Judah lose? It's not a trick question. Two. How many was he blessed with at the end of the story? Two. He lost two sons. God took two sons from him. And then through Tamar's deception, he's given twins to replace his two sons. And so even as God takes away, God also gives. And if you are wrestling with this, this issue and this topic of, of sin and, and bad things happening and bad things happening to good people and so on and so forth, I encourage you to spend some time in the book of Job or even go back on our podcasts and, and, and sermon archives. You can find where we did a grow conference on Job where uh, Steve Bateman came and taught in depth on the topic. It's very, very good stuff. But with that, Job, as he is receiving word after word of the bad things that have happened to him, what does he say? He says this in Job 1, 21. He said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, let your name be blessed. Let your name be praised today because you are good. We do live in a world that is affected by the sin that we as mankind have brought into it. Lord, whatever your reasons and whatever your purposes are in the fires that are going on throughout our province, Lord, I pray that you... You work those things to their end. We do pray for your grace. We pray for your mercy um, to extend to our, our community. Lord, we pray that these fires will be, will be stopped. We pray that people will be returned to their homes. We pray for those who have lost homes, that you will help them to be able to restore their lives and restore um, homes and, and places to live. And, and I pray that you do all this in a way that only you can, Lord, because you are good. And we trust you. Lord, in this time and in this moment, I pray you guide us as your people, as your body on exactly how you want us to represent you here in this community. How you want us to be your hands and your feet. How you want us to be your body. How you want us to serve. How you want us to love. How you want us to share. How you want us to give to others. Lord, I pray that through this and through this situation and this time, we might see more of you. And I pray at the end, we might be able to look back and give glory to you for the great things you've done out of this horrible situation. I pray all of this in the holy name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. Feel free to subscribe to our podcast, leave us a review, and share with others. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can visit our website at www.potterschurch.ca or you can connect with us also on social media. Tune in next week for a brand new episode of our weekly sermon series.
We hope that you have such an amazing rest of your day. Don't you feel yourself.